Okay, welcome along to the Print City podcast. Um, and we'll just go around the table as we usually do. So I'm Peter Goff, and I'm the program leader on the MSc Industrial Digitalization course. And to my right, I'm Edmund Keith, and I'm 3D Print Manager at Print City. Hi, I'm Steve Parkinson. I am Education Manager at Autodesk. Hi everyone, I'm Craig Banks, Professor of Chemistry at MMU and uh, Print City Academic Lead. Okay, well, thanks gents for introducing yourself. Um, nice to get you around the table at last, Steve. Uh, as, you, as you heard, uh, the third person introduced themselves there was Stephen Parkinson from Autodesk. He's just delivered a wonderful session this morning with us for our students on the MSc. Um, I searched around about you, Stephen, found a lot of praise and support for you and couldn't find a single bad word and I employed daily star tactics here but uh, not not a bad word to say about you all over the internet. Um, just to kick off we'll go back to what got everything started so uh, you did a BSc Ons in design and technology education first class we'd expect no less from you Steve but you're working in, in the exact area that your degree was in um, that's not always the case some people don't end up doing the, the subject that they did the degree in so you must have maybe known a long way back that what you wanted to do with your life or what were the drivers? It's an interesting question actually that one because from an early age I, mean, I, I used to build computers up in my uh, parents loft and I used to sell them and try and make them stronger more powerful and I had a dream one day that I'd work for Microsoft because at the time it was Microsoft Windows platform that type of thing um, and I really really wanted to, to work for this amazing company. I guess the reason I ended up actually going into teaching, I was always interested in design and engineering, um, but I stumbled across it. I went to a fair when I was doing my A-levels, and I thought, well, teachers, look, they pay your student loan off. I thought, I'm going to go for this. And I guess it comes down to fundamentally um, as well. I didn't really know at school the opportunities, um, as with the issues now in education, I didn't know the opportunities available to me. And although I went into teaching and I loved every minute of it, I always sort of had something in the back of my mind which uh, was making me think that there was something else that I needed to do. Uh, and here I am now at Autodesk, so I've kind of gone a strange way about getting to where I wanted to be if we think back to Microsoft. Um, but yeah, that's it. So are you still with Microsoft? Is it on the dark side? Or I noticed you using Apple this morning, Steve. I am very much Apple now. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I guess the principle of it, I just wanted to work for this company. I didn't have a clue what it looked like. Um, but at the time, I guess it's like when you want to be a footballer when you're young. I yeah. literally thought it was out of you couldn't get there. Um, hence why I chose to have my student loan paid off. Right. So you're quite a techie kid, you'd say. Interesting. Tech. Ed, you? I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I used to make my own PCs as well, but didn't turn it into a business just uh, just for my own. Basically, trying to get the best CAD machine I could get going for the money. Uh, so it was always kind of hot rodding things and get stealing yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's just because I'm from Liverpool. <laughs> what about you, Craig? Were you, were you a techie kid? Yeah, you know, playing with chemistry sets, as you know, Pete. Always <laughs> blowing things up. Uh, yeah, I sprayed chemicals in my eyes a few times. And that's that's just at university. <laughs> oh, I think we've mentioned before that my my own background was as ZX81. Um, sold it for a Spectrum, and then the rest of this is history. Yeah. But, and but um. We mentioned Apple there, and Steve Jobs said at the uh, Stanford commencement address that you can only connect the dots looking back. And you think, well, I did that when I was a kid, but 
look what how it's helped me further on. I mean, Absolutely. the example he gave was um, he dropped out of the classes he wanted to attend and he went into calligraphy classes. And of course, when the first Mac came out, he wanted beautiful typography. And he said, unless he'd have dropped into those classes, he wouldn't have realized the value of, you know, nice typography on the screen. So I think we can all sort of connect the dots going back a little bit to, to realize sort of how we got here. Um, so I think we're all on the same page as regard being quite techie kids, but you did a master's in education at Sheffield, Steve, um, and you studied factors that hindered the modernization of design and technology. What, what did you find? Yeah, I probably will be quite controversial here, but please do. One of one thing I found with design and technology, so design and technology education, um, was that over the twenty-five years of the subject's history, um, the same problems, the same pertinent issues with the subject were always the same. It was always a case of trying to modernise the, the subject, digitisation, bringing in new digital tools. Uh, for, for young people to learn electronics, programming, and over time, that they, they were the same issues and they never ever seemed to be so solved. And even today with the subject, with in secondary education, we've got things like Progress 8 and the EBAC coming in, and yeah, they're having a, they're having a big impact on, um, on the creative and art subject, design and technology, they've been one of them. But what I will say is, uh, design and technology education, in my opinion, did have problems long before that, and it needs to modernise, it needs to move forward. And yeah, we can talk about electronics and programming and that type of thing, but they're all missed opportunities um, which um, really need to be explored more. Some of the stuff happening in design and technology is quite traditional, and I would argue are no longer fit for purpose. And uh, I think that is where there's a lot of opportunity for that subject. Should it get through these very, very troublesome times ahead in the next five to ten years? Um, you probably you know, visited a lot of schools and you probably still see woodwork departments, metalwork departments. Um, and we'll not even get started on the BBC micro bit with Ed <laughs> because um, I know he's got a... I'll, I'll not say it. No, you've said you started. <clears throat> so has this sort of um, what you found on your Masters, has this sort of served to be the groundwork for what you've done sort of from here? Yeah, I think back to your first question as well, I've, I've always had that love for education. I think I stumbled across teaching um, and fell in love with it. And what that's then, you know, caused me to do is pursue a career in education. And no matter what I do next or wherever I go in my next opportunities, it will definitely almost involve education. And I just see that educating young people is such a massive part of, of what's going to help us in the MSC. I was on uh, talking on this morning, industrial digitalization, the next chapter in the world's history and obviously post-Brexit, Britain's history um, and I just think that that is so critical to everything although the the core stem of it is still design and technology it's just changing now with uh, some students at university rather than secondary schools. Do you think some of the uh, drivers for adopting things like coding is because you can't hurt yourself with it uh, in the same way that um, woodworking and metalworking there was always a health and safety risk which is this and I'm looking over at Craig here because chemistry is uh, no I my chemistry teacher famously blew himself up once a term but um <laughs> it's is it difficult to do chemistry these days craig for for schools and colleges to any particular sort of level where people can actually do stuff without r too much involvement with health and safety uh well health and safety now has obviously got a big big issue these days um you know recently our chemistry department blew up in the uk um 
a person lost their hand in America as well. That's more more sort of degree level. Um, I think for schools, we really want them to push that health and safety aside. You know, so we've got to abide by it. But if we can't let them hands on, you know, get excited by it, it can't all be in in the, in the sciences. It has to be get your hands dirty effectively. Um, but but safety is a key. Um, really depends um, on, on where what school it is and the resources as well is a big issue. Chemicals are expensive now. One chemical sixty quid a, a pop. Wow. Um, you know. Unless you get it off the back of a lorry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as people do. Um, I think um, that's, that's the old saying, tell me and I'll forget, show me and remember, involve me and I will learn. And your mm. session this morning, Steve, um, you know, engaging, you've got people involved in things, they, they tend to learn and the evidence shows that they, they learn, learn a lot a lot faster. So you're now with uh, Autodesk and you've been with Autodesk a while and part of your story this morning was, was how you got there. But what was your first experience at CAD? My first experience of CAD was probably far too late. It was actually a, li a little bit of a module attached to my undergraduate degree. So 2005, 2006, and it certainly wasn't a big part of what we were doing. It was more of an expectation or, you know, if you wanted to pursue that, you, you could. And then as I moved into uh, teaching, I realised that, you know, what really turned young people on and made them you know want to do the subject was digitalization these guys are born into a digital world and they don't want to do manual things so then i pursued a 3d cad and additive manufacturing was coming onto the scene there and really explored the pedagogy around you know how do you teach uh, digital technologies to young people well, i think thanks for that steve i think um if you look at the autodesk model about software for education um wonderful like anyone who's a, a student or you know pupil can download autodesk software and, and get involved but it's not always been the case what was your was your school particularly well equipped as regards programs and kits that you could get involved with yeah i think that's i mean craig sp spoke about that with chemistry it, you, you know when you've got expensive pieces of software you know we're talking I, I was head of department um a secondary school for quite some time and uh, you know my budget for the year was something in the region of about three pounds per pupil for the year and that was to do absolutely everything when you break it down that's incredibly difficult and one of the big issues there with design and technology is students want to take things home um, and that's one of the big problems with the subject as well because we have to educate students and teachers that it's not just about taking something home but when you've got that sort of demand you know do you spend your money or you know your, your, your very small amount per pupil on something physical or something you know like a piece of software so yeah we were lucky enough to have more than normal uh, but one of the great things that attracted me to Autodesk as a teacher was when they made their software free and straight away that removes barriers for all teachers, all students, they can use it at home, they can use it in school, and as a teacher, it just takes some of that red tape away from me. Um, it's just there, ready to use, and on off you go. What about you, Ed? Yeah, Your same. Uh, well, my first 3D package was um, on the Spectrum. Uh, was, was it just called? Um, I thought it was just called 3D, wasn't it? Um, you could do a wine glass on it and things Cyan. like that. Cyan 3D. Science, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I saved up lots of money a huge amount of money and um, bought a second-hand laptop which had the get the people had left the software on it it was dos based uh, i had autocad on it and uh, i taught myself to learn autocad 
kind of the basics of it. This is without any basically this is well. yeah, this is, and and no manuals, and uh, it's very hard to get hold of uh, learning material back then. But I think just as a teenager, I was obsessed with two things. One was computer graphics, and the other one was females. <laughs> <laughs> And you made a wine glass, and actually, I've made I've made a career out of computer graphics. So, there you go. <laughs> <Good job> as <laughs> well. <laughs> so, at your your school, Craig, was it uh, pretty well equipped as uh, as for kit, or we? I mean, I, I, I've not mentioned my own school. Um, like I think Ed's mentioned before, it used to be the maths teacher who was the first person to get involved with computers. And remember, we had five Commodore Pets, and they had. Um, a class that you could go to at lunchtime and I was part of the first computer club and I wrote my first game in 1982-83 I think called Bomb the Argies you can probably guess when it what was going on at the same time um, but that was just because one teacher gave up his lunch hour to let people have a go and here we are yeah. so Steve you um, you live in York a graduate of Sheffield Hallam you're visiting lecturer at York St John's or where are you still are is he still, still and, and MMU he is yeah, you're yeah. A, you're a fellow of the Royal Society for now. You're a fellow for the Royal Society for the encouragement of arts, manufacturers, and commerce. Is that something that's is awarded, bestowed, achieved, or well, paid for? <laughs> <laughs> How did Bribed. that come about, Steve? <laughs> yeah, it's the the RSA involvement came from my work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, um, and specifically circular economy within education. And because of the work that I was doing at the time, I was invited, uh, nominated to be part of uh, the RSA as a fellow. And now I'm actively involved, and I think them sorts of networks are fantastic. It's an opportunity for me to meet some incredible people, um, all doing you know good-for-nothing sort of activities, trying to improve uh, the lives of all sorts of types of people from all different places. But yeah, I think... That all stems from my work with Circular Economy, which is still very, very close to my heart. Okay, thanks, Steve. So, we've I've met you a few times, Steve, um, at things here and there, but just give us, in your newest, your newest role, give just give us an example of a typical week for you. I mean, I can imagine there's a bit of travel there. Is that an understatement of the year? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my I love travelling. So, first of all, this makes this job really, really easy for me to to accept that traveling is going to be a big part of it but I visit a lot of universities uh, around the UK obviously here today we're at Manchester Metropolitan University in the fabulous Prince City um, love coming to see you guys but typically what I would do is I would go to different universities who offer mechanical engineering and product design or industrial design qualifications and we look at ways in which we can improve together um, what is being offered there to the students and I work with students, I work with lecturers, I work with deans, I work with companies, local industries and customers and the whole idea behind all of this is to bring education and industry or the real world, however you want to refer to it, closer together. So how do you manage those uh, travel demands with your, your, your family? I know you've got three kids. And, yeah, uh, I, I think the answer to that is having a fantastic wife, you know, genuinely, you know. I we'll make sure she hears this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Yeah, no, I think I think that's the thing. Obviously, being away um, from your children a lot is is difficult, but it's probably more difficult for my wife than it is for me. Uh, but she knows that I'm this sort of kite, and I need to do this, and doing this makes me happy. And uh, staying at home and just having a normal nine to five wouldn't say it would make me sad, but I certainly wouldn't be as happy as I am now. And she understands that. So when you're travelling around, um, sorry, Craig, it's your question, isn't it? Sorry. That's, it's fine. We're just saying that you know, Prince City's keen runners, as you know. Uh, 
well, I don't know if we've told you, but Pete and I run 42 miles. Uh, we, we tell everybody, of course. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it chases us around in a mobility yeah. scooter. Yeah. Yeah. He's, new hips. His knees yeah. are knackered. But, uh, well, the peer pressure from you guys, I had to run 10k last night just to get myself ready for the Las Vegas running. <laughs> yeah, so we have to do Vegas marathon together, all of us, aren't we? Aren't we, Ed? No, I don't <laughs> run. And just for the record, I'm doing a quarter of it. Oh, the 10k. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, it. Yeah, What's your typical lifestyle for running in a week, do you reckon? Um, yeah, I think running is my escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think working for a technology company or working um, at a laptop, or like like a lot of people now, getting away, going to the gym, whether it be on a, a treadmill or whether it be outside or whether it be, you know, I've got an opportunity, right? I spend a lot of time in hotels. You can have a gun sit in the bar all night and go for a run. So I use that as my opportunity um, to, to get away, to really clear my mind and then to get back. Well, I wasn't going to mention it, but when I was in San Francisco... Oh, go on, when Ed. did you go to San Francisco? Yeah, I, I don't believe it. Has he been? <laughs> this is a stand-in joke, Steve, that whenever I mention Fran- San Francisco, Ed, because I never shut up about it before I went. But uh, I arrived there on the Sunday and we weren't getting going really until uh, later in the week. Um, and I went for a... I thought, uh, when I'm in San Francisco, I can't fail just to run up, have a run up to the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's just one of those standout sort of moments I can remember. It's, you know fabulous fabulous but do you find that when you're in these different cities you because you're somewhere new you want to just go and have a look at it from because if you look at it from a bus or a train or you you don't really see much on foot you tend to see a lot more yeah i think that's that's a a, a great point there uh, in san francisco uh, i spent a lot of time running around and doing the touristy things there and stumbling across the things you probably wouldn't see on a uh on a on a coach or on a, or on a tour and um Obviously, when you arrive in San Francisco, you're fairly fairly jet lagged. So getting up at four a.m. and going for a run is is a great way to to get to the tourist spots before the tourists get to them. You worried me actually before I went because I think you said, "Is it San Francisco's built on seventeen hills or nineteen hills?" Yeah, well, my boss Herb told me that, so I, I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're a real strong advocate of um, Luma. Um, we enjoyed a session uh, week last Thursday. Just for the layperson, could you just explain uh, what it is and why it sits at the heart of the Autodesk training for staff, even the C-level staff now? Yeah, so working for Autodesk has given me these incredible opportunities and I'd heard of human-centered design before I joined Autodesk, but what Autodesk are trying to do is build this culture of design thinking across the complete organization and sort of penetrate and permeate everything that we do. But it is essentially, Luma is a range of tools which you can use to really get to the heart of a problem um, that relates to a human. And we did them a couple of weeks ago, but generally speaking, Luma tools, you need a Sharpie, you need a whiteboard or some some big sheet of paper and you need post-it notes and you get interactive and you really, really diverge in your thinking um, and really go off to some crazy places before you come to a solution. Do you find the C-level staff uh, are up for it? I mean, not to put you on the spot, they may listen to this, but are the are the particular audiences that get it more than others? I think what is genuinely different about Autodesk is like that that culture and thinking across the organisation is is everywhere. You know, I think uh, a, a large proportion of staff are trained in Luma at Autodesk, and it's one of them things really. I guess when you you're faced with a problem. A lot of people know to start with the Luma tools as a way of solving that that issue. But yeah, but back to your question, everyone takes it seriously. It is a big part of the culture, 
Uh, I'm just really lucky to have been involved in it. It's uh, I've I've learned an awful lot. And back to that very first question about teaching. You know, I love teaching, and now I love sharing those experiences, like I did a few weeks ago with with the um, students on the MSc qualification. Okay, so thanks, Steve. Um, I think I'll pop this one over to to Ed because. We're all sat around the table now. We all know each other. We've bumped into each other. Uh, we've worked together. How did it all start, Ed? Your chance encounter with Stephen, was it? Yeah, well, a um, couple of things. So I introduced Fusion 360 to the to the university, I think. I think I was safe to say I was the only one using it here. And um, one of the fashion tutors uh, signed up for some of the classes. And um, so in the meantime, I'd been trying to contact Autodesk and I contacted IT at the university to see if we had a, a point of contact at, with Autodesk and we didn't. So I'd been going through this kind of unsuccessful search to try and make contact with somebody. And um, Stephen actually saw Jane Meekin, who's the tutor, fashion tutor, saw her email address, I believe, um, on one of the one of the forums completely gdpr compliant <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah um i think jane op- offered uh email up on a forum it was anyway and um it said about getting in touch so obviously stephen contacted uh jane and when jane said stephen was coming in from autodesk said right get him in we need to speak to him we need to show him what we're doing and then um you know that's the say rest is history like you said before so when stephen came in i think we you know you liked what we were doing as soon as you came in um, we hit it off pretty well, and I said, "Right, you need to come and meet the rest of the team. You need to meet Craig." And then uh, I think you know we've here we are now. Yeah, Craig, uh, how difficult a decision was it for you to uh, put all the financial might behind Print City? <laughs> <laughs> That's easy Captain for me. Cash, it's not my cash. It. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's been um, getting the university behind the whole the whole concept. The top down approach is, is the way forward, and um, everything now the university talks about. Is, is Print City, uh, Print City 2 and Print City 3 that's coming up um, around other st- strategic uh, goals like SODA, School of Digital Arts, that links quite nicely into this course, uh, the Manchester Fuel Cell Innovation Centre as well. So there's pockets and beacons of excellence and, and Print City is one of those, so it makes sense to, to keep making it unique. Um, and we've got some more exciting plans coming up, um, which will unravel through these podcasts as we tell the news. Wonderful. Thanks, Craig. Um, so, you developed materials for the new design and tech course for OCR that um, began in 2017. It's underway now. It's had some uh, legroom. It's running. So, um, any initial responses? We think we spoke already about what needed to change in in technology, but sorry, in design and tech already. Um, but I'm just thinking: is there an overlap between you know your Luma sessions where doing to learn and working in groups? It, is it a bit of a conflict of interest when you're writing exams? Um, when you're going to write a written exam, yet all the benefit we really see is from working in groups and doing to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of the biggest challenges in my teaching career is, you know, very rarely in, in engineering or design or when you're trying to innovate, do you work on your own? And then all of a sudden you're in a classroom where you're trying to stop people working from other people for all sorts of risks, obviously plagiarism being being a huge one there. It was very, very difficult. However, I guess one of the things that I did in my teaching career, and I spoke a lot about it, and uh, obviously my master's focused on that, was trying to get students to work in groups and then working out how to assess that as individuals. 
And I guess whether you're a university professor uh, or whether you're a primary school teacher, it's the assessment which is always the difficult part. You know, and there's always somebody in every team, no matter who it is, who's maybe not pulling the weight, someone who's excelling like a star. And how do you give them the right they deserve? Or how do you, you know, give somebody a grade that's worthy of their input? Very difficult. They're still here, aren't they? Exams are, mm. you know, on lots and lots of courses. Mm. Um, do, do you think they'll have a phase out across subjects, not not just mm. DT? Do you think they are a measure, aren't they? As you say, Steve, they're a gauge yeah. of how someone's doing. Um, some people may argue that they're a, they're a memory test and people who can remember mm. better more than others, then, you know, they may... It's, yeah. it's depth of learning, isn't it, rather? Definitely. It's learning as opposed to... I just Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think we're, we're moving away from that knowledge-based... Uh, need in life you know it's no yeah. longer about knowledge it's, it's, it's about mindset and your ability it's, to be able to solve a problem when yeah, you present it's it it's the problem solving questions yeah. that you really differentiate people that are at the top of the scale the firsts two ones from those in the thirds yeah. that, that's how, how we generally do it isn't it yeah so how, how you apply that into your area is quite a, quite a good good point mm. you know, how would you do that um i guess that's one we, we're, we're going to work on yeah. But do you think there's too many exams for kids? You know, got your kids yourself coming through the system. They seem to be doing exams yeah, from I like <coughs> God knows what age. Ed, what do you yeah. think? I, I think it's too much. Um, obviously, my kids are geniuses, so it doesn't really <laughs> obviously, face them. But, obviously, but no, I think it's too much. I you know, them. they say if we, if we look <laughs> at you know Scandinavian countries, and they, they, I think the kids don't start formal school until they're seven or eight or something. It's all about social interaction at this age, and I think but my kids are um, six and eight, so. I think getting the social interaction, the social skills, being able to play, learn through play, develop, all that kind of stuff is much more important, whether they can spell, you know, cat or dog at that age. So because they all develop at different uh, phases anyway, and it kind of, it's much more, I think the teenage years are much more important in terms of how we educate the teenagers. We should be encouraging children to experiment. I know I've got an example, which I know Pete laughed at when um, a while back, my wife said to me, you know, you need to go and have a word with Eleanor because she's just refusing to do her homework. So I said, OK, and I went in and I said, OK, Eleanor, let's just throw your homework in the bin um, because, you know, s school at this stage is a bit of a waste of time. My wife m immediately shouted, you're not helping the situation. <laughs> so, um, but, but I think I was helping. I said it intentionally. I think it was being helpful. Obviously, school is important. Education, I believe very strongly in education. I had a pretty crappy education. It's a pleasure to be here in Prince City as part of the education team. And I think um, it's, education is very important. So when we say are we going to have t group work or whether we're going to have exams, it's the content. It's what is, what's in the content of the questions, how are the exams. Uh, it's not whether it should be an exam or a group thing for me. It's what's the content, what's the outcome, what are we getting across to people. So when I speak to the students, I try to get them to think very much in line with what Stephen was doing today, we get them to think about the bigger, the bigger issue. Again, with the, like the example with the drill, do you want do you want to buy a drill, or is it because you know you need a hole in the wall? Mm. So what's what what is the thing that's needed, and you know what's important to us as we go forward? I think social interaction is very important going forward. So you know, let's lay off the kids, let them play, let them understand that in some countries you know, is it Norway is it Norway where there's that's very much sort of encouraged in the curriculum I'm not sure if it's Norway or Sweden it's one of yeah, I think a lot of Scandinavian countries operate 
on that kind of. Mm. I've got friends from Scandinavia, and they, you know they're not thick. <laughs> they're, they're, they're clever people. They can spell. They can read. They can ride bikes. You know, it's kind of. It's it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, in in my career of eleven years uh, as a teacher, one thing that really stood out for me was the rise in mental health, and mm. that pressure came from examinations, yeah. and then. You know, naturally so. I mean, I'm a parent uh, and, you know, you maybe put too much pressure on your kid and then all of a sudden it's, it it's boils out of control. But I remember having chats with students who couldn't sleep, had insomnia, um, all because they know that if they didn't get that grade, they couldn't pursue the career that in some cases their parents really wanted them to pursue. And I just okay. saw far too much of that. Um, really, really sad. It's like yeah. you, Pete, isn't it? You, your dad wanted you to become a dental technician, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. I was, um, I was writing video games out of my bedroom when they were in bed um, at night because I used to write the code uh, on a sun lounger behind the house on a piece of paper. And then when everyone went to bed, I sat in a brown sleeping bag because my dad was mean. He turned off the heating. <laughs> he had to sit in a brown sleeping bag and write and write the code. And of course, my dad never saw me working. All he ever saw me was lying on a sun lounger when he came in from work so he got me a job collecting glasses at 15 pound for six hours so uh, when i started bringing in two grand every six weeks i hope the tax man's not listening <laughs> but when i used to bring t- two grand every six weeks i started buying him stuff and he, he decided yeah, i didn't need to work collecting glasses anymore but yeah he was uh, very much uh, you need to get a trade i said this mm. is a trade it's just one you don't know yeah yeah he said there's no money in programming didn't he say yeah and then I, I, the two people i worked with retired at 45 <laughs> so. you'd be you're, bored you're, now you're Still happy, yeah. yeah. One of them uh, became a, a modeler for um, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, he was a 3D modeler, yeah. and the other one became a vicar. Wow. So, quite, nice. quite broad range. The other one was a TV producer. Yeah. I've got a question back for Stephen actually about teachers. You know, what, what's the free traits that make a good teacher, in your view? Because, you know, what I notice and observe is that out of university, if people get the bad grades in university, they end up becoming a teacher. So rather than encouraging the guys like you who've got the first and the knowledge and the, the, the will, we end up educating our next generation with people that can't understand education. I just don't get that in my head. Mm. So have your thoughts on that? And, you know, what's the three traits that you'd tell the MSc guys if they wanted to become a teacher that they'd have to have? Three traits then. So first of all is to have a personality and build that yep. relationship with somebody. I remember the first school I taught at, I got observed and uh, the feedback was, do not use your personality as much, um, which was ludicrous thinking to me because I'd built relationships up with these guys, and um, I think that's definitely one of the big big reasons there. The second thing, uh, I remember saying it, is you know, teach things that are as real and relevant mm. as possible to what's going on in yep. the real world. Um, at the time, I was... Um, a teacher at a Church of England school and I got challenged by Archbishop John Sensimu about what the real world was <laughs> um, but um, ultimately you know it, it was you know where does this sit into into life and then the third one of being a teacher you know I don't know actually uh, I think they're my top two I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. relationships and you know question what you're doing mm-hmm. and you know does this add value to that young person I think that is certainly the recipe for for a good career there. I think, you know, going back to mention before about the 
the maths teacher who was the started the computer group i don't think and they have marketed this you don't forget a good teacher mm. um and you can probably think back to when you're at school or when you're at college or somebody who really sort of inspired you and i think you seem to sit in that that bracket steve from all the uh the, the information i tried to get some data on you i couldn't find a single thing anyway f- gentlemen there is some bad stuff on me sorry on there? there yeah I think it was a, a fellow teacher actually trying to get me, but on uh, ratemyteacher.com. All right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know That's who that was. this evening's reading. <laughs> <laughs> so four weeks today, uh, it will be day two of Autodesk University in Las Vegas, where you found yourself in 2016, Steve, being the first European educator to present. Now, how did that go? Yeah, that was uh, an amazing experience. It was my first real engagement with Autodesk as a customer. Because at the time I was very much a uh, an educator expert, actually, which is a program that you can you can go through there with with Autodesk. But it was an amazing. I mean, I remember you know ten thousand people in the Venetian, um, all this brand new technology being launched, and it was almost at the time I had nothing to compare it to other than what I'd seen on the TV, as like we've mentioned earlier, an Apple launch. It was just fantastic, and I guess that was the point then when I, I phoned my wife from Las Vegas uh, to. Um, to England and said, look, you know, I'm an amazing time here. You'll never guess what's happened today. I really want to work for this company. And that's the uh, absolute 100% truth. I think it really inspired me to, I was very nervous about leaving teaching for a long time. So that was the moment, was it? You yeah. Just, oh, right, I didn't know. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's when I realized that actually I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted to do something different um, before then. And I did try something different, uh, which was going into senior leadership at a different school. And I always knew that senior leadership in a school wasn't for me, but I thought I needed to do something different to shock the system, and and that was wrong, and I made a massive mistake and um, in my career, and it wasn't right for me, but it did lead to doing something different. And working for Autodesk is different, but still very much in that education ecosystem, which is what I'm all about. So the night before, you've got your presentation ready. PowerPoint, was it? Yeah, it was PowerPoint, so yeah. So the night before, you're in, you're in the Venetian, presumably. You're, you're a guest of Autodesk. So how are the nerves? I was very nervous. I didn't sleep that <laughs> night. Be- the night before, I did not sleep. Um, but that shows you care, right? Absolutely. I guess, yeah. It, I was. I remember being in the uh, the Aria Hotel, and they had an iPad where you could operate the curtains. I spent most of my night actually working out how the <laughs> iPad works. Um, but yeah, very, very nervous. And then when you go into them big ballrooms at mm. the back of the Venetian, it's uh, it's scary stuff. And then the great thing was, though, with that presentation is you had people from all over the world listening to, to what you wanted to, listening to what you wanted to say. Um, and that was just a great experience. I'm just going to shift the focus completely here. Uh, on your LinkedIn profile, you, you know the interest at the bottom. <clears throat> you did mention this this morning. Uh, you have an interest in Lego. Yeah, it says you follow the Lego groups. Now, um, which I'm going <laughs> to ask you, which is the Guilty set? Pleasure. Which is the set your wife won't <laughs> let you have? Because I want the Death Star one, but it's 410 quid. Steve's looking at me and saying, how the hell did that get on there? He said, I haven't got a Lego set. But you mentioned about uh, Bishop, the robot, this morning, about um, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, about how to pick up and put bricks together with the overall view that when we can't build enough houses, that technology will feed into robots mm. that can help. So um, maybe you do have an interest in Lego, but you just don't just don't know it yet. So I just want to sort of start finishing up in a minute uh, that Autodesk have 
very kindly sponsored five women in leadership scholarships here on our course. This is a really great start. But how do you think we get more women into these industries, Steve, that are male dominated? And this is from four men sat around a table here. We've yeah. all got daughters, etc. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it is frustrating. I mean, I found myself the other day uh, commenting on a post on Twitter about a panel mm. of people talking about engineering and it was five um five white men and you think well mm. you know this is not a good advert guys you know this is we need to do something different i think if we think to the course here we've got five females as we say and let's talk let's let's talk about someone we know all know well ellen and i think ellen is an inspiration to to other females and the conversations that ellen was having with um, with younger female students earlier this year when we were out in Copenhagen for an event when Ellen won the Design Slam, they were genuinely inspired by her. Um, and I remember Ellen telling me I didn't realise I wanted to be an engineer because of this sort of hazy mm. understanding she had of it. She didn't know. And she passed on that information to them three young girls in exactly the same way. And uh, I saw how engaged they were. So in answer to the question... Get more Ellen's out there. And she has exactly got maturity about. beyond her years, hasn't she? Yeah. I saw her sat with a customer, mm. uh, client upstairs, going through a design with him. And she was there most of the afternoon, but never lost focus. Always yeah. approachable to new new I, ideas. I've seen it as well. They, she's bringing in other people from the course, females. Yeah. Uh, just, just watching her, amazed by her. And then those girls have gone back and brought even more females across. So... Uh, I think it's it's just you know it's like a chain reaction effectively. Yeah, I think that's it's it's letting it's it's starting from day one. It's back to the education mm. link. Back in, um, you know, you see the playground. The, in some of the schools have separate activities for uh, boys and girls, and mm. you know, doesn't fit everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a cultural shift as well, which is it's, I think it seems to be happening. It's slow, but it's yeah. happening. At least we're getting somewhere. Obviously, I think uh, all of this technology is completely accessible to everyone um it can only get better the more people that get involved in it no matter what your background is what your sexuality is and i think as having a father of two daughters you know i want to see yeah. this open up to kind of to you know a level playing yeah. field at least i think it's the perception ed <coughs> we've always talked about engineering when we, yeah. i think you've always said you know engineering is not british lane in the 1960s with yeah. many boiler suits anymore it's it's sexy formula one in clean areas and that's where CAD's used and that's where rapid <coughs> prototyping's used and that's really, what we've got yeah. to educate. And that's the environment you yeah. guys have got here in Print City. I mean, that's all of them things, Craig. Mm. And um, obviously chatting to the guys this morning on that new qualification you've got, it's a 50-50 gender split, which is not like other places. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. what you're doing there is an amazing thing. Yeah, we've had we've op operated an open-door policy to everyone from day one and I think that's really beginning to pay off now people know that they're welcome in Prince City one of the things graduate uh, new students in any university uh, learn is that of all the places they can't go straight after Freshers Week so they're told if you can go here you can go there but they know that they can't go to a lot of areas or not off their specific course so when they come in they realize that they're welcome we engage with them and kind of you know, it doesn't matter you know who what course you're on and that's paid off i think now with the masters we've got fashion students we've got medical students business students you know we've got that mix in there that no one else is doing so it's, it's i think it's very, the course has got a very exciting future i think that's uh a good enough place to uh, finish off i think uh i'd like to thank you Stephen, for coming in uh for everything you've done for the course and for print city overall uh 
Craig, any final words? No, I just uh, like to thank thank Stephen for for bringing Autodesk to where they are with us at Print City, and uh, yeah, generally you're a great guy, and we love your enthusiasm. So I can see today that the students were eating out your hands today. You know, the, the Luma thing and this the course today, but Circle Economy was you know really well received. So. I'll Good second that. We love you, Stephen. Good to have you on board, <laughs> mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as, they say at the end, as they say at the end of the Olympics, yeah. I call mm. upon the athletes yeah. of the world to meet in four weeks in yes. Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to seeing you all there, guys. <laughs>